Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Hey, good morning, everyone. That was some great worship today. Uh, yeah, but you're glad you came today. Good way to start the week. Hey, have you ever, ever said to yourself, or just in a panoramic view of life, ever thought, it is not working? And by it, it life. The, the meat of life requires so much work. The things that matter, the things we do the most, in relationships, our vocation, there's something broken. In our relationships, there, there's, it's not, not unusual to be involved in argument and blaming and a, a lot of injury and hurt. Many end, and they don't just end, they end poorly, right? And then our work, you know, we weren't there, and we don't even know this guy, Sisyphus, but we feel like we're part of his, his curse where the gods have required us to push a boulder up a hill to, just to watch it roll down again. And we, finding that, that it's, it, it seems purposeless but extremely exhausting. Those parts of our lives, those things that occupy so much of our life, they don't seem to work. So Why? We've looked at this last week. Let me just summarize last week for just a second. The reason things don't work or they require so much effort is because we were made to face out and, what, and, and we're bent in on ourselves. And what we mean by we were made to face out is that our souls were designed by God to, to gaze outward from ourselves. And we gaze outward upon the beauty and the glory of God to gaze outward on the, the splendor of creation, to gaze at other souls, not ours, at other souls, and see the image of God in them. And so you can even look at the, the prototypes, Adam and Eve. You can see that their intellect, emotion, and will, the wholeness of their souls were selfless. They were looking to serve. They were looking to serve God. They were looking to serve God's purpose for creation. They were looking to serve each other. Their, their, um, their needs were met not by pursuing their needs. Their needs were met by, by doing what God designed them to do, and that would be face out, to face out. And so um, innocence, you could say, innocence is self-forgetfulness. Innocence is self-forgetfulness. And there, again, in that context, there's ambition. It's just not selfish ambition, right? Once upon a time, you know, we were, we were made to be givers in a world where there, no, there were no takers. And that's the way things were meant to be. But those days are gone. And, and in the context of our rejection of God and his, and his hope for us and, and his standards for us in this rebellion, we turn in. We turn into ourselves and we become intoxicated with getting we can't become addicted to our own selfish egos. We are addicted to our ego. We, idol worship is, is us. We're worshiping our own souls, right? And it wasn't God's judgment that caused this, because if innocence is self-forgetfulness, then the loss of innocence, right, is the consuming of ourselves. It's, it's self-forgetful. No, it's forget everybody else <laughs> but me. It's, about, it's all about me. And facing out what facing out could look like in our lives is seen in the life of Jesus Christ, where he says, you know, do, do you want to be, you know, uh, you want to be great? Then you should, 
you'll serve other people. Do you want to be first? You will be the slave of everyone, he says. And he, I'm, and he says he's not the exception. In the context of the title of the Son of Man, he said, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. That's what it looks like. That's when, if you want to know the, uh, the end game of the Christian life, right, Where does, what is God's purpose for your life? It is to be like Christ, and to be like Christ means to be turned out, to be gazing upon other human beings not on our, instead of mirrors. Okay. It, to, to be, the Bible says, mature, or sometimes it's called complete. It means to be self-forgetful, selfless. A lot has to die, right? And so this week, what I thought we'd do is we'd, we'd apply what this looks like, the way we were meant to be, to be complete. To live by faith is to shed uh, our, our need to be right, relaxed and comfortable or whatever our addiction might be, right? What does that look like in the context of our vocations? Next week, we're going to look at what does it look like in the context of relationships, but in the context of vocation, what we do all day long, whether you know, you're changing oil in cars or changing diapers at home or owning a company or serving a company, whatever it might be, whether you're a football player at a high school or maybe the coach there, whatever, right? How, how do you turn out? What does life look like where you're using this fullness of Christ and living by faith to gaze at, at what's out and to serve? Well, as you would imagine, I don't. I don't want to talk about that. I want to delegate that to someone else. And uh, I thought I'd bring up my friend, Mark McLean. We've been friends for many years, and I wanted him to come and tell us in his career and experience how, how he's done that, how he's lived by faith. Mark, this is one of my favorite parts, maybe of our whole relationship, where I get to uh, read his resume, and this is better than any wedgie I could ever give him. But, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you count success in business, right? Do you consider it leadership? Uh, Mark's been nominated three times by the Austin Business Journal as best CEO in Austin and has won that at one time. Ernst Young this year, right? He's three-time uh, finalist in Ernst Young Entrepreneur of the Year. This year he won that 2015 Entrepreneur of the Year award. Right. So, yeah. Uh, performance in the tech business, that's what he does. He's in the tech technology industry and just to keep up, is you're winning if you're just keeping up. Uh, his company has been the fastest growing uh, company in that context, in that industry, two years in a row. You want to keep score in the context of culture. What's it like to work at SailPoint? You know, I know, right? Whips and, and, and yelling. No. Uh, six years in a row, Austin Business Journal, the employees said, best place to work in Austin. Six years in a row. So that's not bad. That's not bad. Okay. So <laughs> you don't even, you won't even look at me. Huge compliment. You? you won't even look at yeah, me. Right. I will kill you later. Yeah. So, <laughs> so anyway, we've been talking about today's time together and we want, okay, let's look at some passages in the Bible and say, how do we apply uh, life, uh, living in faith by, in Christ in our workplace? And we, we thought we'd, we'd um, spend most of our time in this passage in uh, a book in the, older, or in the newer, newer Testament called Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. There's a special section that Paul, the writer of that book, says, okay, this is what it's like uh, to work and live by faith. Now, before we read that, you need to understand a vocabulary word that might be alarming uh, because of our historical context. The word will be slavery. He's going to talk about owners or masters and slaves. And as Americans, we have a definition of that term that is not remotely like 
what, what Paul was speaking of 2,000 years ago. Two-thirds of the Roman Empire uh, were slaves, and you were a possession. That's, that's true, but you weren't treated necessarily in, in poor quality, in a poor way, because, because even in the context of slavery, again, the mass majority, 75, almost 75% of the people were in this category, and that's where they received like their, their social status, their education would be through being, getting to be a slave. Uh, their income security was found there, their lifestyle. And so it wasn't uncommon that uh, a free Roman, because he would have to earn his income you know, every day, he'd have to pretty much fight for his own you know, way of surviving, they would, they would sell themselves into a company or an owner, a master, so at least there'd be some safety and, and stability in their life. So you can see the idea of selling yourself for a consistent income, that you can relate to that. Some companies employ a slave. There's, there's a lot of overlap, the two the, the rings, right? So with that in mind, knowing that that word slavery or slave is more, not, more related to our word employee. Let me read this in Ephesians chapter 6 now with that. Slaves, obey your earthly masters and, blow, and obey your bosses, right, with respect and fear, uh, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Okay, why? Because obey them not to not only to win their favor when their when their eyes are upon you, but also as slaves to Christ, doing the will of God uh, from your heart. Serve your boss like you would Christ. Not just to get caught doing something good, but just do it like you would Christ, because that says right there, do the doing the will of God in your heart. And I know when you start off right out of college, right, you, you felt like a drone, the worker, the cog, the worker <laughs> bee. Before we even used the word drone, but right. that's what I felt like. Yeah, no, not that, not that the drone. other kind of drone, the other right. drone. Yeah. So you were in Los Angeles, what, about seven, seven, seven years, uh, worked for IBM. Right. Kind of, uh, I, there's a lot of IBMers out there a lot of times. And then for three more years for HP. So for 10 years, I was the proverbial cog right. in the wheel, very big wheel. Okay, so how do you make sense, using this passage and the idea of turning out, right, you, he spent three hours a day in his Los Angeles commute. That alone <laughs> could break many a person. So how do you, how do you bring Jesus into that, right? Uh, Jesus' name came up a couple times, but it wasn't <laughs> uh, the right. Um, no, I think, uh, you know, early on, I think because I started my career in corporate America, I thought that's where I'd spend my career, honestly, at that point. Um, I think there was this idea that, okay, if I'm a, if I'm a cog, what, what kind of a cog am I going to be? And, and I think if I focused on serving my boss or, you know, my management chain or, my, or even the corporation, the big company thought, I'm like, this is not the right way to think about this. I'm not, this isn't helping me. Um, and you and I had an interesting conversation about when we were starting our careers 30 years ago, the concept of doing something you were passionate about wasn't really part of the lexicon. So if you're under 30, prepare to be offended for a moment. Um, it was like, when my kids got to this point, you know, Dad, I want to do something I'm passionate about. i got a few kids that are working now. And um, I'm like, hey, as long as passion puts food on the table, that is awesome. But, uh, but we sort of said, I would like to put food on the table, and I hope I like my job. It was sort of our priorities, right? And so I think I had to shift to, wait, there's a passion I have to have for serving God, not necessarily for how I'm going to achieve my own ambition, right? So kind of a shift from... Uh, this idea that if I'm working for God, working for Christ, that passion has to be his passion. Not, he may have a different passion than I might have thought I had for right. what I was going to go do. Um, and so, you know, a lot of it's, the passage talks about obey, right? Sort of that early stage of your career, a lot of it's just kind of do what you're being told to do, right? right. Just, there's a lot of 
following directions <laughs> in the early stages of your career. You want people to be creative, but, you know, obey, right? And we talked about this idea of perspective, right? I, I think a lot of you guys, if you've worked, you've probably heard this metaphor. There's a, a great older story of, you know, three bricklayers, right? Somebody comes to the first bricklayer, what are you doing? I am laying bricks. Second bricklayer, what are you doing? I'm building a wall. Third bricklayer, what are you doing? I am building a cathedral. They're all laying bricks, but they got a different perspective on what they're doing, right? And I think if you're that cog in the wheel stage of your career, a lot of times it's, what's your perspective, right? Am I serving Christ and am I serving some greater good? It may not be a passionate good like I'm, I'm serving orphans. That may be what you're called to do, but you may be building chips at a fab in Austin. And if you have a, a passion for that, it may be because you think someday that chip goes in a computer that helps those people place orphans in orphanages or with foster parents or what, right? You can see the cathedral if, with the right perspective. All right. I, uh, this poor guy uh, is going to come over to my house this week, and I'm going to pay him for fixing my air conditioner, and I'm probably going to hug him um, <laughs> because I want, I, honestly, I want him to see this. I want him to see, uh, he probably thinks he's just uh, putting up a pretty good sweat to re- to climate control my house, but I'm going to tell I'm a very shallow person that's easily, uh, you know, irritated, and I'm a better human being, you know, between, I don't know, 74 and 76. <clears throat> I really am, and I, you know, my wife would like to thank you for installing this air conditioner as well. No, but I mean that, truly, you can ask her, I, but, and I'm going to tell him that. I said, you're not, uh, you're not just installing and fixing air conditioners, you're actually, you kind of changed the way we do things around here. Mm. And I hope he could see that bigger picture because that perspective can change. That's what doing the will of God. He might see that there's more to what he does because it's true. Right. Right. And I think, I think early on also, um, you had to wrestle with um, something that was very popular back in those days was the difference between sac- secular and sacred and how, you know, the, the sacred was, well, that was sacred and the secular was second class and if you had to. And, and why don't you tell us about yeah, that transition? I don't know if that was something that most of us that were raised in the church might have wrestled with a little more, but I think in that era, um, as you were kind of ready to launch into a career, sometimes you wrestled with, gosh, if I was a really good Christian, I'd probably go to seminary and become a preacher. And if I was an exceptionally good Christian, I would become a missionary. And God would send me somewhere I would hate, but at least I would be like in such great standing with God for doing that. And, and so, and then there was this like, but if I kind of stink and I'm like a second class Christian, I guess I'll just go get a job, and, but I'll write good checks to the church. Boy, that will be great. Um, and so I think we had this sacred secular divide, like you either kind of go into the full-time ministry, still a phrase we use, um, maybe we shouldn't, or you would go into full-time secular work. And that leads to this sacred secular divide, like Sunday is God's day. We used to call it the Lord's day quite often, right? And the rest of the week was sort of not was that mindset. And so I had to really wrestle with that. I think a lot of us did at that era. Um, And maybe I shouldn't act like that's not something that we still wrestle with. But we had a great conversation, I don't know, 10 years ago, maybe 15. I was wrestling with this still. And um, I said, hey, Matt, I'm thinking about going to seminary maybe. And he looked at me like, no, you idiot. Uh, I mean, he said it more loving. No, he didn't. He said it just like that. And he said, look, you know, there's a lot of folks who I think God's really calling to that. A, in again, loving way, I don't know that you'd be that good at that. Uh, and B, I don't think that's where you're called. I think you're called to this mission field of the workplace, and, and you seem to do well there, and that seems to be where God's blessing you, so stay there. And so I had to get over that mindset that if I really wanted to be a God-following guy, I was going to get out of work and go to seminary. A, a great book uh, along that time called Anointed for Business, kind of an intriguing title, Anointed for Business. That, that kind of hit me with this concept, most of the famous people in the Bible are not priests. 
Or, you know, I don't know if you know that. Like most of the names you know, uh, they were like government workers and shepherds and uh, administrators and... There's that carpenter. That carpenter guy. He was pretty famous. <laughs> <laughs> Could he really build a good table or did he just have to get out of the work and right. go into being the Messiah? I've always right. wondered that. But um, I think... I think the truth is we, we kind of get our mindset that holy people are full-time God holy people. No, God's people are people that are doing all stuff, all kinds of stuff. And that was, I had to get out of the mindset that I had sort of blown it by choosing the work right. force, so to speak, the marketplace, and I hadn't, hadn't missed out. I was actually doing what God called right. me to do. Well, certainly one of the values here, one of the primary values at our church is every believer's a minister. And to understand that, it means more than just doing the ministry, certainly here, that's for sure, but we talk about the ministry out there uh, in the workplace, but, but the workplace itself is ministry. I mean, Dorothy Sayer says this wonderfully. Um, she says, the, the history of the church and her advice to the carpenter is to make sure that he doesn't overindulge and become drunk, but, and to make sure that he attends church on Sunday. When Christ primary, so the very first demand that Christ makes upon the carpenter is to make good tables. That is ministry. Make good tables, right? As unto the Lord. You're bought as unto the Lord. Well, and when you're getting started, sometimes 18 to 20, 30s, mid 30s, there's um, some ebb and flows, and then there, and then there's this something that happens. <laughs> you know, 35, 36 to 42 or so. Hard times. Yes. Um, I don't know if this is only true if you're kind of in a business corporate setting, but there's sort of this sense that if you're pursuing some level of career growth, whatever that looks like, um, you start to feel pressure, right? You get to your mid-30s, you start to feel like I need to be achieving something, and maybe you've moved it into a level of management, and the, and the work pressure is growing. But simultaneously, perhaps, if you're a family person, you're having teenagers. <laughs> oh, there's a little pressure there. And so there's this feeling of a vice, I think, that is very common. Matter of fact, we were joking about um, the minivan culture we all live in, and sort of, what if you picture the minivan like a pressure cooker? You just get in your little pressure cooker and drive from thing to right. thing that adds to your pressure. Now, you're kind of the stew if you're in the pressure right. cooker. Right, and now all so, of life makes sense. All of life makes sense <laughs> right. if you're the stew in the little roving right. pressure cooker, right? It works. Well, there's actually a verse that we use beside, uh, in, in addition to our pressure cooker analogy. Uh, the, the next sentence is here. He says this. So, so here's what you do. You serve wholeheartedly as if, here we go again, as if you're serving the Lord. Not your boss, but everybody's boss, okay? Not people, okay? Serve the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether, the, whether they're a slave or they're free. So there's this reward that's coming by the, by the actions and the choices that you make in the context of your workplace, and this idea of reward is ultimately and primarily what he's referring to here is at the end of your life and you present to him. And there's actually some pictures in uh, the medieval times where the, the Christians are presenting what they built and as, as a final expression of their judgment before the Lord and, and a giving to the Lord. But I think also there's a meaning here of the potential reward in this life, that when you serve your master as though he's Christ, there's a reward there. And the reason I, I think that's true is because the book of Proverbs, it's an Old Testament book, and it's filled with these um, wisdom statements that say, look, if you, if you make certain choices, they, they, they lead mostly to really great results. And, and so, you know, this, this idea of a balanced life in many respects, this, the way you receive the reward is by living a life facing out 
that's, that's balanced. I think the balanced life is the hardest life to live. But the balanced life is the one that gives the highest reward, and it requires us to face, to face out, to gaze at other people first and foremost, not about ourselves, to, to um, serve, not be served. And so how does that look, right, in, and especially this, this time of life that's most difficult that you yeah, found? You use a phrase uh, that I think we lo- use a lot, work balance, work-life balance. I think sometimes there are directors of work-life balance at big companies today, right? And so we think about this concept a lot in the workforce today. And so when you think about balance, at least a lot of us do, that leads you to a discussion of priorities. Well, if I'm going to achieve balance, I've got to think about what's my priorities and focus on the right stuff. The trouble is most of us um, either naturally or maybe through some training were, were designed or, or instructed to think of priorities in an ordered list, right? You know, if you're a Christian especially, right, God's first, spouse, family, second, kids, something, work, you know, we think in terms of an ordered list, but I don't know about you, when I would wake up every day, this did not work for me, <laughs> right? God's first, except I've been at work for 14 hours today, so I don't know how much I thought about God in the last 14 hours, and my wife has been home with the kids while I was at work, so work is way down there, but it didn't feel like that today, right? And so the ordered list thing wasn't working for me, and so I got exposure to the concept of a wheel, which I think was a much better way to think about it, right? This idea that that if I get my priorities, as I think about priorities, I need to think of them as God's at the center of everything I do. But at any point in time, I'm going to go engage in one of these spheres, right? Now, here's the problem. That is idealized. That does not happen in real life ever. Right, right. (laughs) So, uh, right, a more uh, typical one would look like this, I guess, right? Probably. Uh, Right. So, a lot of marriage, a lot of work. And um, sometimes uh, if we are married and newly married, it, it looks like that. And they, they, we bound, but that's a balanced life is the point. And then children come, and you can see a child can upset the balance a little bit, and then another child comes, right? And, and you'll notice when you get a third child, you just start calling them kids, right? Like, <laughs> I don't have children anymore. I just have, I have kids. But what I want you to see is what's getting crowded out. Because if, if we're made, right, to face out, to be self-forgetful, right, then look what's happening. What's, what's getting smaller and smaller? Like our hobbies, even our health, and all the, what, and this is what's difficult about this time is there's a lot of what, what about me? Well, yeah, right, it's interesting that you should say that because that, um, that's what's being refined in you. See, God's, gonna, God's trying to make you like Jesus where he said, I, I, even, this, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And so you're going to need to, that's what faith looks like, is you're trusting God to change your heart and, and quit being so consumed about your needs being met. Adam and Eve had their needs met, not by meeting their needs, but by serving and gazing. And then sometimes in life, it gets like with a new job. Sometimes some jobs are seasonal, <laughs> right? Sometimes you get promoted. Again, in this period of time that is exceptionally difficult because of the vice thing. You speak to that. Yeah, I mean, we were joking. That could be at a season when you're really busy. That could be an accountant in April. Anyone in accounting recognize that slide? Um, A a promotion, right? All of a sudden, work feels consuming, right? And I think the challenge is, as Matt said, what's... whether it was the last slide or this slide, right, the you part, the part you think of as the you part, health, friends, hobbies, is getting squeezed, it's getting crowded out. And, and let's focus on this one for a second, right? When you're in one of those modes, for whatever reason, management, assuming you have some, uh, is not really concerned about the rest of the pie slices, right? That's like, sorry, I really just need you to do this, right? Uh, 
you know, uh, hey, you're going to need to get those TPS reports in. Um, so uh, if you laughed, you're in trouble because you shouldn't know that. Um, uh, I'm kidding. Um, so I think the idea here is that there's this, this squeeze. Now, notice God's still the center. There are times when that, as Matt said earlier, that is the bright picture. And, and if you don't accept that, you're going to feel lousy, right? Because if you're still thinking that ordered list and it's April and you spent 88 hours at the office this week, that was the right balance to do your work in the season. But, but it better not look like that all year long or for five years or you got a problem. <laughs> Right. And you guys had some seasons like that, right? Yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, you know, there was times when we made a move, we took an on a promotion, we started a company. Right. And, and the good news was uh, Marge uh, whacked me in the head appropriately, like a great wife does. Because a couple times they'd say, honey, we're just kind of in this season. But that season would kind of go to another season, another season. She'd go, this does not feel like a season. This feels like life. I don't like this. Right. right? So we'd have to back up and say, okay, what's going to adjust? Uh, you and I joked about what gets cut out, right? Uh, you, put, you hang up your cleats, uh, quit going to your one softball game a week, and go to your children's 87 soccer games a week. Um, you, uh, if you're a little younger than me, you give up your own gaming. Oh, I'm going to offend somebody there. Uh, you give up your own time on the computer for gaming because you've got to be awake for your kids' stuff, right? There's just a lot of adjustments when you feel that pressure. Well, and I would say in my experience working with couples, the most common thing that happens here, again, because we're bent, we turn in, mm. right? And both people, while this is happening, let's just pretend a, 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 what you, you know, the normal, or not normal, but the leave it to beaver household back in the day where he's having this demands, but at, at home, the wife, if she's staying at home, is waiting for reinforcements and he's not coming home or he's coming home tired. And so what happens is both people, they turn in, mm. And then they go after each other. Again, they're attacking and they're blaming and that sort of thing. Not gazing out and saying, oh, my goodness, it must be tough to be you at work or it must be tough to you, be you at home. I mean, I don't know how many times we, we've had counseling where we just go, no, 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 listen to me. You're on the same team, remember? You guys love each other. But it's all about me. What's happened is you're going, what about me? Where are my needs being met? All that sort of thing. And so it's, it's learning to, to see that. That, yeah, and here's the thing. Mark has to say, yeah, I'm willing to give up my selfish ambition at work. Yeah, yeah, take a demotion, maybe. maybe. Can we say that in America? <laughs> and then, and then and, and maybe Marge would have to say, okay, look, I have to lower some of my expectations about what's going to happen with the children and, and my responsibilities. And it's this compromise, but the compromise is based on facing out, coming to serve, not be served, Right. And, and looking at our partner saying, wow, they are in the image of Christ and, and they are the person that God's going to use to make me like him. So how do we work together? And so, I mean, that's, that's, that's what's available to us. Sometimes, again, there's when marriage difficulties come along, like in our next slide here, you need to drop everything. And the theme of, of that, of marriage difficulties, is let's get back to that center. How do we make Christ the center of our marriage? How do we become more consistent in our praying together and maybe our studying of what God's nature is like and how to apply uh, his principles in living? Sometimes, again, I'm, we're just going through some opportunities that many of us are going to live with when there's illness in the family. But see, the illness in the family, it, everything gets pushed to the side. There's little to no time for anything, whether it's extended family, right? Parents or uncles or, or a brother, a sister, or even one of your family members Here's the thing, though. It's so easy to turn in and say, I never get a break. But if you turn out, you could see, you, get, you could gaze on the opportunity, right, to, to care for someone deeply, sometimes even to the end, 
Few people get to care and love people to the end of their life. I'm not suggesting it's easy at all, I'm, but I'm just saying it's an opportunity that you, that you get to enjoy in a, in a broken world. But, you ha- but I, here's, here's what I want you to see in this. That's, what we're, that's why we're using this wheel. That's a balanced life. It's not pretty, okay? But Christ is the hub of this. G.K. Chesterton said in his book on the family, this wonderful quote, should, man, it's almost a Bible verse in my values, right? If it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. Have you, heard, have you ever heard? If it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. And what he's saying in that, it's like sometimes, especially in the context of family, when someone's ill or marriage problems or difficult transition periods of time, it's peanut butter and jelly all the time. That's okay, because if it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. Let's just do this, friends. And but the idea here is that's the balanced life. You don't have to feel guilty. That's what holiness looks like. When Christ is in the center, it doesn't mean everything's going well. It just means his spirit is pervasive in turning you out so that you can gaze at things outside of your own self. And, and then you can serve in ways that maybe you hadn't anticipated before. So, that, I mean, that's why we wanted to bring kind of that concept up because I think people are having, I think they're looking for that first pie. Look how balanced, every, that's not the balanced life. Okay, so now in your life, now you're co-founder of a company and, and you have more authority. And so let's look a little bit more with people that have influence on the environment of their company because the next sentence in the, in the passage we're looking at talks to the masters or, or business leaders, right? They say, uh, masters, okay, treat your slaves in the same way. Look how he says, nope, right? There's no prejudice. Do not threaten them since you know that um, he is, he, I'm sorry, since that you know that he who is both their master and your master is in heaven. That everybody has a master, it's Christ. And he does look at the, there is no favoritism in him. So there's no hierarchy in God's view about the company the owner and the company person employee. How does, so you're that person now, how does gazing out, how does um, serving show itself up in leadership at SailPoint? So we, uh, we have a cultural statement, we have values, like ev- I think everybody does. Hopefully they're not just a plaque on the wall that nobody ever looks at, but we try to live them out. Uh, years ago, I decided I had to figure out how to shorthand it for people. And so the way we shorthanded it was treat people like adults. Okay, that sounds good, what does that mean? And over time we refined that, and I think now in my mind it means avoiding two guardrails. On one guardrail, what it looks like to serve and love people and think about them is don't uh, micromanage them. That's a famous word in the work, work, workplace today. And what I mean is uh, don't treat them like a trained monkey. How's that for a little more guttural view of it, right? Here, do exactly this, step by step by step by step, and then great. Because a, a highly capable, experienced, uh, in, um, creative person does not does not want to be treated like that, number one, and generally in today's society, in our workplace, won't stay. <laughs> they'll just vote with their feet, as I like to say. They'll, they'll leave because if you're, if you're asking them to just be like a trained monkey, they're going to go, go ahead and hire a trained monkey. I'm not one. And so a lot of times we swing to the other side, and people don't talk about this problem as much, but there's so much freedom that it's not clear what success looks like. So all of a sudden, you're like, great, especially in startup tech. I'm kind of lived in that world, some of you have. It's like, wow, we got ping pong tables and beer in the fridge and beanbag chairs. And does anybody know what we're trying to accomplish? Anyone? Anyone? Um, 
so, you know, there's this huge amount of freedom, but, but actually people don't want so much freedom that they don't know what they're supposed to do. <laughs> they don't know what success looks like. So what, what we mean when we say treat people like adults, which again is my, you know, covert code word of how my, my Christ th- thought of serving them. I can't do that in my secular company. I can't say, well, we're doing this because we're going to treat you like Christ. So we say, look, treat you like an adult means don't micromanage you and give you enough objective and clarity to know what you need to do to be successful. And that's, people respond incredibly well to that right. Well, six years in a row, right? One of the favorite places to work in Austin. And I, I went to SailPoint website to look what he was doing and, and saw the, you know, looking for a job section, not for any particular reason. Uh, <laughs> Bad day research, in the office. Was research for a sermon. Uh, and he, they have a video, and I just thought, wow, I could work at SailPoint. I mean, I don't, I don't even know how to turn on my laptop, but uh, the video, it's got these, these fun people, right? And, and they do have a beer fridge, and I'm really good at ping pong, and I love to eat pizza. So that's what I saw. But one of the things I did like is that you have so many, you have an eclectic uh, group of people working there, and you let people express their creativity and individuality. In, in their workspace, whatever that might be, is, sure. whether it's a cubicle or an office. And I, and I couldn't help but think about your background at IBM where you had... We had freedom of expression. We right. could wear whatever color tie we wanted. Right. And any color suit as long as it was it blue. It was blue suit, white shirt, and is it a red tie, yellow tie, red right. tie, yellow tie. So I feel like, I feel like w- what you've done is you pr- you've, you've allowed this culture to say, look, we're going to be successful in business, and you're going to do work here. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to respect you as a human. Again, this is the idea of looking out, gazing at the the uniqueness of that human soul that's in the image of God and saying, I, I want you to enjoy, I want to enjoy your uniqueness and express it as we get our work done. And I think that's why you, you kind of have the fruit of that. Well, another way we talk about it is the whole person, right? right? I think at work, people want to be viewed as a whole person. What does that look like? It means a lot of things. When I interview people, I, I interviewed a, a sales rep in Hong Kong the other day that we were planning to hire. And my last question to him was, hey, what do you like to do for fun outside of work? And I could hear him take his breath in. He's like, did the CEO just ask me what I like to do for fun? Uh, I didn't know you cared about fun. I thought you were just going to work me, right? right. And so there's a lot of times where people come out of a culture, like you said, they, their view is kind of slave driving, driver, right? And we say, look, you're a person, right? We're going to care about you. If you have something major going on in your life outside of work, we're going to respond to that, right? We're going to help you get through that because you'll be ultimately a much better employee at the end of that. It's, it is somewhat self-serving, but it's also Christ-like. I'm going to serve you, but by the way, if I do that well, you're going to want to come work with us forever, right? right? Well, you want to be in that environment. So I think it is, that it is that idea of serving people by caring about their whole person. Right. Yeah. It's gazing out, right? Gazing out. So a lot of what you've talked about today, just in summary, is uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. Is, and the perspective is, is working unto the Lord, doing work like for him, mm-hmm. and that all work is sacred work. Whatever you're doing, that work is sacred, that he's call, everybody's called to something, right? That you'll be rewarded, and sometimes the reward requires a balanced life, and the balanced life not, is not pretty. And it's, maybe it's not even necessarily balanced. It is Christ-centered, and looking for ways that Christ is squeezing the self-centeredness out of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but ultimately, the thing that you talk about most when we talk about work is the parable of, of the talents where a master gives some, a, a, a servant five talents, I think, and two talents and one talent, and he says, go make some magic. And that, I think that's how you live most of your career. Right? Yeah, I think uh, there's a picture we can put up which might help here. I think what I had, it took, this is time, right? So it took me a long time to get here. Hopefully this talk helps you get here sooner. But, but I think over time, I really did have to come to the perspective that God owns it all, right? I am not a part owner. I am a, the Bible uses the term steward. 
the better term is manager, right? God owns everything about me. He owns my time. He owns my talents. He owns my resources. He owns my whatever, right? And so he is the proverbial investment manager. He's like, here's some stuff I've given you. Go do well with it. And I will hold you accountable for that because at the end of your life, we're going to have a performance review. How's that for a fun term for heaven? Um, we're going to have a performance review, and we're going to talk about how you did with your, with your uh, resources that I gave you, you know, um, you know. You don't earn to be Usain Bolt. You're born with that, right? You, you, you've got a set of gifts and genes and talent or whatever. So I think what has helped me is if I get that perspective right, then, then I don't get confused the way so many of my peers and colleagues in, in the world of high tech and, and financials and all that, they just get confused that it's their stuff. And so they grasp it very tightly and they, and they don't want to let it, they don't want to share and they want to hurt you as a way to get more for themselves. All of a sudden your whole perspective is right. broken. Right. If Turning you think in. you own it, it's all about me and my stuff. If it's all about God and God's stuff, you just hold it very differently. Right, and as, as, right, as you have matured, it, you realize I actually own less and less. Wait, I don't own anything. I mean, there's a part of some of us who's like, I just want to hold on to the doorknob. I mean, I'm down to not, not much. Let the doorknob Maybe drop. a phone book. A phone, uh, right, yeah. Anybody remember that movie? No. no. Okay, never mind. But, but listen, the climax of the story, right, is what, the, what we're living for because he, but he, he gives these talents, he gives these investments to these uh, servants, and when they come back with great investments, he says this. This is the sentence. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and enjoy. Come and share in your master's joy. Come and share in your master's joy. And that's the performance review you can't wait to hear. I mean, exactly. I think that's what we're all thinking about is, is I'm going to get held accountable. And, and most of us only think about it in our work. We think about that like my boss is going to give me a review next year or maybe at the end of my life I'm going to look back on how I did in my career. What, get beyond that. Get beyond that to what is God going to say when you show up and say, here's what I did with you, what you gave me. I mean, that's a, it's a both sobering and, and frightening thought in some ways, but it's also exciting, right? You're like, man, if I just do like those guys did, if I go out and work hard with what God gave me. Immediately they went out. They went out, and then what does he say? Great job. By the way, he also says, you're going to get a lot more chance to do more now. Right. That's the other part of that parable, which is really exciting, really motivating. Right. So I, I think um, a bit of advice uh, for some of you would be that you don't, you don't have to slowly go down this thing and you don't have to make all the mistakes for yourself. At Grace, we do a lot of mentoring here. We'd love to uh, expose you to some people that might have uh, learned some things over the years. Our adult Bible studies, our Sunday school classes for adults, all, all of our, many of our ministries, almost all of them involve some sort of oversight so that you can ask questions. Would you consider doing that, understanding this, this idea of stewardship or management? And when we say everything, I want, I want you to think of conceptually about the fullness of your life experience and how you can invest that for God. So it, it might be that you're married, or in our case, empty nest. What are you going to do with being empty nest? How are you going to invest that? If you're single, what are you going to do with that singleness to make the most of that opportunity? But listen, your injuries and your addictions, how much of the Bible says, Okay, let's, let's use that. Let's leverage that. Let's make something out of that that God can bless and he can enjoy. And you can go back and say, look, I, I have these certain things in my life and I experienced these things and I was even a victim of certain things and I chose to invest them. It's, sure, it's your stuff. It is your time. That is precious. It, but it's, it's you. It's the fullness. It's the wholeness of you. And it's not about you. It's about it's about turning out and gazing 
at the glory of God, about his, his ambition for creation, and about the human souls that are all around us. And it's not about being served, it's about serving. That's, I think that's how we practice uh, living by faith and being conformed to the likeness of Jesus in the workplace. I, thank you, Mark, for coming. I would like for you, if you would, a pastoral prayer from every believer's a minister from a, from a professional. You could pray for us professionally. Okay? I would love to do that. Okay. Lord, we thank you for, uh, for all of those folks that chose to make the speaking of priorities, that chose to be here, that chose to invest of their time just to come today and listen and learn. Uh, Lord, we've, we've talked a lot about what it means to turn out and face out. I pray that, that that concept will take root in our hearts and minds and we'll, we'll catch ourselves when we're turning in and thinking about ourselves uh, and not thinking about those around us, whether that's spouse, kids, workers, neighbors, colleagues, whatever. Uh, Lord, we've talked about our work and, and what it means to think of it as serving you, not working for an earthly master, an earthly boss. Uh, I pray that that concept will um, be something that... that colors our thinking this week as we go about what we do, whether we're at the quote-unquote bottom of the pyramid or the top, that we'll think about what does it look like for me to serve Christ where I'm at. We pray that uh, this concept of sacred secular, to the extent that's still banging around in people's heads, that that will, that will get rooted out, that they'll recognize uh, that they're called to their work, that, that God made them to be a designer or a carpenter or a software designer or a, or a a homemaker, wherever God's called them, that they'll say, this is my sacred work uh, to God. Uh, Lord, as we wrestle with our priorities, help us to get comfortable that as long as we are focusing on you at the center, our wheel can look imbalanced, but it can be exactly where you want us to be at that point in our life. And, and if we keep our focus on you, that you will either confirm that or you'll rattle our cage and tell us that's not the right, right way to be right now and that we need to take a new look at those priorities. And finally, Lord, uh, maybe the overarching thought that we would just recognize that we are given what we have. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. You've given us a set of talents and gifts, and we are to use those for your glory, not our own. And that we are to allow ourselves to be used by you to, um, to make an impact for the kingdom while we're here. So that each of us, when we get to the end of our life, as we said, and go for that final performance review, that we'll be able to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So, Lord, I, I ask that for each one here today and for those that will listen later, uh, just that that will be their heart and that will be their desire. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mark. For more information about Grace, visit our website at grace360.org.